So we're going to come back to the study that we took up a few weeks ago on the name of God, Adonai, specifically in Ezekiel, and uh, hopefully you have a handout that gives you an outline of some of the things that we've considered so far and give you an idea of where we are this morning. We're going to be in Ezekiel 1, if you want to turn there with me. Ezekiel chapter 1. We consider already the meaning of Adonai. And this name of God emphasizes the fact that our God is the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. That there is no ruler higher than God. That he is an ultimate authority. That as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is in control of all things. That he's actively governing the universe and the world and the nations that exist in the world. In our generation and in every generation. That it is not just the earthly rulers we need to keep in mind, especially as God's people, brethren, but we need to keep the King of Kings in mind. And we need to be reminded that He is still on His glorious throne. No matter what the political scene looks like, no matter what the cultural scene looks like, and we might admit these days it looks pretty dark, doesn't it? Politically, Culturally, we seem to be once again in the last few months and weeks fast-forwarding ourselves downward and downward into all kinds of immorality and things that are displeasing to God. And with that, we can have a tendency to be discouraged. We love our country. We love our nation. We enjoy great freedoms here. We want this nation to be stable. We want it to continue, not just for our sake, but for our children's sake and their children's sake. And we don't want to see the end of our country. We love our country and we can be discouraged in dark times. And so what do we do? Well, we do what they did in Ezekiel's day. We are encouraged to look up and to be reminded that our king is still upon his throne, that he's still ruling. And because of that, everything's going to be okay. That what we see might be one thing, but in heaven, there's something else we need to keep in mind. Everything is being worked out in our day and in every day according to the great and grand purposes of our God and of our great supreme ruler. So that's sort of the encouragement as to why we're coming to this subject is to lift our hearts and minds upon this aspect of God being the supreme ruler. We consider the meaning of the name. Uh, and then we began to open up the manifestation of the glory of our supreme ruler in Ezekiel chapter 1, and that's where we find ourselves today. Last time we considered the glory of the angels, and that's as far as we got. Today we're going to move on to the consideration of Ezekiel's wheels, these wheels that he beheld, this glorious heavenly chariot that our God rides upon, and then of course the one who is upon that chariot, the Lord of glory Himself. So my prayer is that we'll be encouraged by these things. Let's take up the passage in verse 5 and just be reminded of this vision that Ezekiel got to see beginning in verse 5 of Ezekiel chapter 1. Within it there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form, 
Each of them had four faces. Again, this is referring to the angels. And four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof. And they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands. As for their faces and wings of the four of them. Their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn. When they moved, each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an angel, of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire, and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling beryl. And all four of them had the same form and appearance and workmanship, being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome. And the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close, rose close behind them. For the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went. And whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close behind them. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now over the heads of the living beings there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up, was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Let's again pray for grace that the Lord would help us as we consider His Word. Lord, 
we thank you for these visions that you privileged men with that we can also draw strength from. Visions of you and all of your glory. Oh, we praise you for the detail we have here, for the analogy, for all of the the ways that Ezekiel stretched his vocabulary and his mind to try to capture at least a little bit of what he saw. And we, we can feel it, Lord, as we read this passage that words fail to describe the excellence and the beauty and the majesty of your glory. Please give us the Spirit of God. Fill us that we might benefit from these things and be encouraged. In Christ's name, amen. Ezekiel's wheels. We find this description in verses 15 through 21 as we read. And the first thing about these wheels we want to consider is their unique beauty and workmanship because Ezekiel points this out to us. He sees these incredible wheels next to each of the four angels. And we we try to figure out here, what is Ezekiel seeing? What are these wheels all about? And the vision as we read it at first seems strange to us, doesn't it? And believe me, there's been much conjecture about these wheels that Ezekiel is looking at, and and many people have allowed their imaginations perhaps to get the best of them in describing what these things actually mean. But it seems, brethren, to be a description of the Lord's glorious and heavenly chariot. We were to make a best guess. That probably would be uh, a best guess attempt at what Ezekiel is seeing. Of course, it's a unique chariot because our God is unique. It's a holy chariot because God is holy and separate from us. So everything about God also has that same essence to it. Something that Ezekiel has never seen that no one has ever seen. He's captivated by this vehicle and the wheels that accompany it. And we know this because the description of just the wheels take up seven verses here a large portion of the vision. He was captivated by them, just as he was captivated by the angels. Hasn't even gotten to the person of God that he sees. Above all of these, he's describing the glory of the angels that attend God. And now he's describing the glorious vehicle upon which God rides. They are mesmerizingly beautiful and unique. He says their appearance and workmanship was like sparkling topaz. In verse 18, he looks at their rims and he says they were high and awesome. My translation reads, they had eyes all around them. Strange, isn't it? What what does it mean they had eyes all around the rims? Well, Daniel Block, who has an excellent commentary that I read, he read on this, and he spent 13 years studying Ezekiel and writing this commentary on Ezekiel, and so far I've, I've found it to be excellent. He says that some describe these eyes around the rim as, quote, the flashing of nail fittings attached to the outside of the chariot wheels. So as the wheels turn, you see the flashing of the nails. Others have described them as real eyes that reveal the fact that God sees everything all the time. Well, Bloch believes, and I agree with Bloch, that they're not literal eyes, but 
a precious ancient stone that the ancients would have been aware of. And this stone was cut into an eye-shaped pebble. So they were like these eye stones that were exquisitely attached to the wheels. Massive and beautiful are the wheels, and they're decorated with these eye stones, so while they turn, they radiate light wherever they go. I think we can relate to this fascination with chariot wheels, even in our own day. We could use the illustration or example of of trucks and all the attention and time some, some pay to the kinds of wheels they purchase for their trucks. Why? Because there's something about a good wheel, a big wheel, right, that that draws attention to itself and says something about the vehicle that you're driving. Isn't it true? My neighbor just got a new truck and he's excited. He's about to get his license. And this truck has massive wheels on it. I mean, the base is like this wide. And he goes, yeah, I found out these wheels are literally 500 apiece. And he like is taking pride in this truck because these wheels are so big. And the, the idea is that this thing can go anywhere. Four-wheel drive, massive wheel base. It looks intimidating. So we can kind of relate to what Ezekiel is, is mesmerized by here. There's something about the wheels of God's vehicle that speak of confidence, that speak of the fact that wherever this chariot wants to go, nothing is going to impede it, nothing's going to stop it. Like these are the wheels of wheels, fitting for the king of kings, like nothing he's ever saw. Maybe it's the guy in Ezekiel describing in seven verses what the wheels on the vehicle were like. Maybe we can relate to that. Something about trucks and these these wheels that capture our attention. The wheels or tracks on our war machines are intimidating. And again, project, project power and might of the vehicle and of the one operating it, hopefully intimidating your enemies and your foes. Well, this is God's heavenly chariot with wheels befitting the supreme ruler of the universe. Awesome and beautiful, intimidating to the enemy. But if you got these wheels in this chariot, heavenly on your side, very encouraging for God's people. That's just the beauty and workmanship of them. Consider their power, their ability, and their freedom of movement. He spends some time on that too. Again, Block's commentary quotes an interpretation of verse 16 that reads different than my version. In describing the wheels near the end of the verse, verse 16, it says, their appearance and their workmanship were as if one wheel were inside another wheel. And what is Ezekiel seeing? There's wheels inside of the wheels. What does that mean? Some people in commentating on this and in using sanctified imagination believe maybe we're, he, he was seeing something like a gyroscope, a revolving wheel within a wheel. And I did just a little bit of research on gyroscopes and I actually purchased uh, two of them. And you've got these cylinders or this circle with a wheel within it that turns. Now before iPads and iPhones and all of that, this is what you would get for Christmas kids. 
you would get a gyroscope. And maybe some of you remember getting gyroscopes. You can still purchase them for $9.99 on Amazon. Of course, right? And you take a string and you put it around this little post, the shaft in the middle, and you wind it up nice, then you pull the string, and this thing just whips incredibly fast. And then you can place it pretty much anywhere, on your fingertip, on a piece of line that you would stretch between two points. You could literally put this on it, and it'll spin right on the wire, and it won't fall. It's because of the force of the wheel as it's turning. It creates such a force that basically keeps the wheel resisting the pressure of gravity to fall left and right. And so the idea with Ezekiel's wheels may be is that once these wheels get moving in a certain direction, nothing and no one are going to stop it. They're going to continue to move. And no force, no enemy force, no Babylonian army, no great king like Nebuchadnezzar, all the kings of the earth are not going to be able to resist the forward movement of the chariot when it decides to go in a certain direction. Ezekiel, as he preaches this prophecy to God's people, God's people would have been encouraged, wouldn't they? That this God is for us who can be against us. Yes, he has us in a foreign land with strange people, with a strange language and strange gods. But he has showed up to be with us in this glorious heavenly chariot. Interestingly, gyroscopes are found in modern airplanes and helicopters. And it's an important tool that allows as that gyroscope wheel is turning vertically in the plane and the plane tips to the left or right, it's used to show the pilot which way and direction the plane is going. Because in the air, obviously, it's hard to get your bearings. God is the chief engineer, brethren. Is it beyond the scope of reason that Ezekiel's getting a vision here of something that would be used technologically thousands of years later when men finally figured it out. He's the chief engineer. Ezekiel doesn't know what he's seeing. He's just beholding this glory, trying, grasping for things to try to explain it. But it is a beautiful sight of a glorious chariot that is for us and not against us. Whenever they moved... They moved in any of the four, their four directions without turning as they moved. So not just power of movement, but freedom of movement. We saw this in the angels as well with their four phases and their ability to move in an instant, left, right, front, back. Same thing with this chariot. This is not a bulky chariot hard to turn. This thing wants to go left, it immediately goes left. This thing wants to go straight, it immediately goes straight, reverse, whatever. At every speed, in all directions, in an instant, God can show up just like that for every one of his people, wherever they be in the world. That's the kind of force you want on your side. Armies are tough to move. They're big, especially on the ground. It takes time to move them, but not God's army. 
Like an eagle, he swoops down. Like a heavenly chariot, it can be at all places and at all times. In an instant, if you are in trouble and you call upon the name of the Lord, brethren, here's the point. He is near and not far. And he's near to us as God's people living in America in very discouraging political and cultural times. And he could change things in an instant if he wills. And if it's according to his plan. But no matter what his plan is, no matter if his plan includes this nation or not, this God on this glorious chariot with these amazing wheels is always going to be with us till the end of the age. That's his promise. Think about the kind of confidence that if you had this kind of a, of a God, this God upon this chariot with you in any kind of confrontation, that would breathe into your soul and breathe into your heart. Consider their locomotive power source and animation thirdly, thirdly, as we just consider in the wheels here. Just as the angels worked in perfect harmony with one another, so we find this same characteristic of the wheels that Ezekiel saw. They are in perfect sync with that of the angels. They're operating as one. The unity of God's angels, the unity of these wheels are in complete agreement, are completely unified to carry out the will of their God. Completely unified in the direction that they're going to go. It's not as if the angels say, we want to go north, and they're struggling because the wheels are sideways, and well, we, we kind of have to go east first. Oh, no. Wherever the angels go, the wheels go. In perfect harmony, no disagreement, in perfect oneness and unity, and oneness equals strength. A house divided cannot stand. An army divided cannot stand. You need unity when you go to war and you have a you have a troop you have troops that you're leading and guiding. They need to be in perfect sync in their thinking. That's why they train religiously and they discipline their troops by training again and again so everybody knows how to accomplish a certain goal. So everyone's on the same page. They envision obstacles and problems they might run into and everyone is on the same page as to how to overcome this. So when the time comes, they don't have to think about it as one man, a unit of 30, 40 people act together and the strength of that is unstoppable. And we see this in God's chariot and in God's angels. They're in complete sync with one another. Whenever the living beings, verse 19, moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. But the ultimate power, as we continue to read, and guiding influence of the wheels was the same as that of the angels. And what was that? What was the animating power? What was the power directing the angels and directing the wheels? Well, it was the Spirit of God. Verses 20 through 21. Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose just as they did, for the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, they went. And whenever those stopped, they stopped. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose just as they did, for the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. The same Spirit of God in fact, in the Old Testament, I haven't studied this out diligently, but he makes more references to the Spirit, maybe, than any other prophet. The same Spirit of God 
would fill Ezekiel and be his ministry's power and the directing influence of what he would say. Everything in God's army follows him perfectly in every detail and according to every which way he directs and guides. And this is what it means to be Spirit-filled. We operate in harmony with God's will down to the minutest details of our life, whether we eat or drink, all is done to the glory of God. To be Spirit-filled in perfect harmony and in mental, intellectual agreement with God's will. With a heart that is on fire to do God's will. And in our actual thinking and living and decisions we make, trying to carry out the will of God in every aspect of life, in all of life, oh God, give me more of the Spirit to be like your wheels. To go where we want, where you want me to go. And to not go to the left, or to the right, or to the left. But to stay on the path that you want me to be on. May your word be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Give me grace to live in obedience to You as Your heavenly angels do, as Your heavenly chariot does. I think Ezekiel, as he depicts the servants of God by way of the chariot and the angels, is giving a picture to Israel of how they should live. Stop living in stiff-necked, stubborn resistance and rebellion to God. Be like these angels. In this chariot. Truly filled with the Spirit, living for God in every aspect of your life. If the heavenly hosts and chariots obey God like this, I mean, they wouldn't dare step out of line. I mean, you get, you get a sense when you read about the description of the angels that they're fearfully serving God in His presence, covering themselves with their wings. Sensing the awesome responsibility they have. They wouldn't dare, brethren, step out of, of step of God's will. How much more should men pay careful and close attention to the will of the Lord? Well, a few concluding points about Ezekiel's wheels. They are his in that he saw them. But he doesn't own them. They're part of Adonai's heavenly chariot. The supreme ruler, the king of kings. This is how he gets around. This is the chariot he rides upon. His chariot powered by the Spirit of God and four heavenly angels with incredible and awesome wheels that go wherever the Lord directs. Whether it be to roll over and crush all of His enemies, or whether it be riding along or Riding to rescue His people in peril in an instant. It reveals God to be with His people in our midst and on a war chariot ready to protect and to defend and to support and to save. And somehow, here Ezekiel is seeing this great God upon His great heavenly chariot in the midst of enemy territory. Even though its glory is bright and brilliant, it has snuck past the forces of Nebuchadnezzar, snuck past his walls and his lookout guards, and it is now in the midst of the enemy camp, undetected and undeterred. 
A heavenly vehicle, fearful and awe-inspiring. Like a heavenly tank with the speed and agility of an SR-71 Blackbird. You know what that is? That's the fastest known plane to mankind. 2,500 miles per hour. You cannot barely see it, nor even think about hitting it with anything. This is what this is. I mean, tanks aren't supposed to be that fast. They're supposed to be powerful. God is powerful and incredibly fast to come to the aid of His people. Here is God's indestructible chariot, tank-like power, fighter jet-like speed. Brethren, here we have another aspect of the supreme ruler of the universe and why our God is called Adonai. He has the chariot, weapons, and means to instantly crush the enemy of God's people. The Lord of hosts is with us. This is why the psalmist could say the God of Jacob is our stronghold. If you know something of the God of Jacob, if you know something of the Lord of hosts, of what He is like, and the kind of war machines He rides on, that verse will mean something to you. He is a very present help in trouble. Why? Because this is what He's like. This is why He's called the supreme ruler of the universe. This vision that Ezekiel is seeing gives us encouragement to believe that it means something when we call upon the Lord of hosts. That He is a refuge for His people. The Lord of heaven and earth. Supreme ruler. Riding on this glorious cloud chariot powered by the cherubim of heaven. Indestructible wheels hovering over the heads of His people with the families of God's people, the churches of God's people, to protect them, to hear their cries for help, and in a moment to come to their aid. What an encouragement to Ezekiel and the believing remnant of Israel. They're crushed. They've been taken away to a strange land, strange language gods. The temple will be destroyed soon due to the continued obstinance of their rebellious countrymen. All outward signs point to the end of God's glory and witness in the world. The Lord shows up like this to assure us that all is well. In our discouragements politically, culturally, God is still reigning, riding over the hills of the earth to work out His purposes, and none will stay His hand. An amazing heavenly chariot. And then the glory of Adonai Himself. Verses 22 through 25. We see His holiness. We've considered the glory of these four angelic beings and of God's heavenly chariot, but as Ezekiel moves on to describe the glory of God, he says this, Now over the heads, verse 22, of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, or a platform, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side 
and on the other. What is Ezekiel trying to do? He's trying to show the uniqueness and the distinctness of what he's about to describe. And the first thing he does is he describes the separation between God upon His throne and all of that which He has described so far. Everything He's described is amazing, it's glorious, it's majestic, it's like nothing He's ever seen, but now He's going to share something with us that's utterly distinct. There's this separation, this platform, this division between the chariot and the angels empowering it and the wheels and the heavenly Lord of glory. What is it that's above these creatures? Who is it above? The Lord is above them. Separated from them somehow. And, bre and brethren, clearly Ezekiel gives us a picture in this vision of what the holiness of God means. Though the angels and wheels indeed be heavenly, awesome, majestic, awe-inspiring, mesmerizing. They are as nothing compared to the one true and living God who owns them, who made them. God is holy. What does that mean? It means that He's completely and utterly other and distinct and different from anything else speaks of the otherness of God, the uniqueness of God, the incomparableness of God. Completely separated. Nothing is as high as God. Nothing is glorious. Not His angels, not this chariot. Nothing is excellent. The angels before God recognize this. He describes them in their posture, bowing their heads, covering themselves with their wings. What is it? Maybe they know something of their excellence and of their glory, but as Ezekiel beholds this, the angels are saying to Ezekiel, do not look at me. And they're trying to cover themselves. Look to God. He is holy. Holy, holy. And they would cover themselves. And perhaps even reach out another wing and cover the wheels. And say, Ezekiel, look up. Don't look at the messengers. Don't look at the means and the instruments of God. Behold the Lord God Himself. He is the one high and lifted up. Worship Him. Look to Him. Draw strength from Him. And be captivated by Him who is utterly distinct and Him alone. Our supreme ruler, brothers and sisters, is holy and distinctly more glorious than all the glory found in heaven and earth. Men settle for far too little. Mesmerized by the glory of the Grand Canyon by the glory of the universe as they look up at the stars and study them, by the glory, power, and beauty of the ocean. But they have the opportunity to behold the maker of it all. If the things we look upon created 
are filled with such glory. How much more is the maker glorious? We are privileged in Christ to have the opportunity to behold Him, to know Him, to see Him someday. The Creator and the Sustainer. So utterly distinct is God in His appearance. So utterly distinct and unique in His ways. You know, we have this picture of a war chariot coming to the aid of His people and against the enemies of God's people. And He comes, and as you, as you hear uh, Ezekiel describing this vision, He's describing it with all kinds of analogies that speak of, of light and of crystals shining. You can't hide things that are shining, can you? God shows up to fight for His people without camouflage. He shows up and announces His presence to the enemy and says, let's go. In all of His radiant glory, He doesn't put it under a bushel. He shows up. He's clearly identified as the supreme ruler of all. And as men would dare come against Him, it's as if this God shining forth in all of His glory and beauty just sits back in Psalm 2. And now you know the reason why He laughs at them. He doesn't need to hide from men that He made. He doesn't have to come camouflage in some sneaky way to defeat them. He shows up in the midst of enemy camp, radiating His glorious presence, daring the enemies to come forward. Utterly distinct in His person, He can be utterly distinct and unique in the way He battles for His people. He doesn't hide or camouflage, but in full radiance of sparkling light and glory, in full view, because he cannot suffer casualty or loss, completely noticeable. You know, kind of like an earthly picture would be like Goliath on the battlefield. You know, the guy was nine feet tall. Like, he couldn't hide even if he tried, but he knew with the weapons he had at his disposal, hand-to-hand combat, a man that size didn't have to hide from no one. It's like an earthly, limited picture because nobody could compete with him. On an an incredibly infinite level, this is our God. Doesn't have to hide, doesn't need to hide. Amazingly obvious in battle, the holiness of God. His supreme and sovereign rule. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne verse 26, like lapis luzule in appearance. And on that which resembled the throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Ezekiel sees the heavenly throne and guess what? No matter what's happening to us politically or culturally on earth, the Lord is still on it. He's not standing. He's sitting. When you sit down, typically you sit down in an atmosphere of peace. When you're not anxious, when you're not worried, when you don't have an immediate threat before you. He's on his war chariot sitting, 
not standing. When we're threatened, worried, we can't sit still. We're on our feet. We're ready to protect ourselves. We're ready and aware of an attack, whatever it is, ready to do something. But our supreme ruler does not ever get anxious about his enemies, nor should we. He sits on his throne in their midst even as they rage against him. And he sits there and looks upon them with not one worry in the world and just laughs. What a blessing, brethren. This is our God. This is our supreme ruler. This is the one we have who is for us and not against us. What a blessing to have him as our God and as our Father looking out for us. There he is as Ezekiel describes him on his throne and mysteriously appearing as a man. What does this mean? Is this the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this our Savior? The one who came into the world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, resurrected, ascended on high, exalted, to sit at the right hand of the Father upon His throne until all enemies be made a footstool for His feet. Is this Jesus? Most likely it is. John said that Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus on His throne in chapter 9 in His glory. Maybe this is a vision of Christ. Our Savior, brethren, since Ezekiel's day, we have much more reason to be assured, don't we? Our greatest problem is not political or cultural. Our greatest problem is our sin problem. Look upon the news. All the problems they speak of are not the real root cause problem. The real problem is sin. That's your real threat. Sin is able to do you more harm and damage than than President Biden or Putin ever could. Than an army could do. Sin in your heart is more dangerous and deadly than all the enemies of this world. And yet you never hear about it. The greatest problem men and women, boys and girls have is their sin problem. Guess what? Your sin is going to take you to hell. It has the power to bring you to a lake of fire where you will never escape for eternity. The Lord Jesus came into the world to save us from that problem, our greatest problem, our sin problem, and He did it by dying upon the cross, taking all of your sin and all the wrath that your sin deserves and removing it from you so that you could be saved from your sin and from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is more deadly than any politician, than any problem we face in this world. And guess what, brethren? Once again, we take confidence because the Lord Jesus has saved us from our greatest threat, and that is sin. And guess how He did it? While nailed to a cross, beaten, bruised, and bloodied, with everything man could throw at Him, bearing all of the wrath of His Father, still alive, Nailed to a cross, He saved us. That's the power of God. The power of God.
power of God when he's nailed to a tree is a power beyond anything this world can imagine. Isn't that amazing? The weakness of God, brother, is what saved us. Complete mystery. Blows the mind. God nailed to a cross, not riding on a chariot, saves us from our greatest problem. In that state, he took on all the forces of hell and all the force this world could yield against him. And he overcame for his people. That we could be saved. That we could be made right with God. That we could be a friend of God and be welcomed into the family of God. What a blessing to know this Savior and that He is our King. Now when we think of all the glory that we've considered, and, and you know the third point is His glory and excellence, and it's just radiance, it's, it's full of color like rainbow. I mean, He can't even, you know, for us to go through these verses, just read them. I mean, His words fail Him when He speaks of the majesty, beauty, and excellence of God. It's so wonderful, distinct, and unique. His only response was he fell down on his face. Brethren, remember this. We have the privilege of falling down on our faces in worship of the God we adore and in worship of the God who we are right with because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? Do not be like those who do not know the Lord, who will fall down on their faces before God one day in terror because they're not right with him. He is your greatest problem. But you can be saved if you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and believe in Him. Well, I hope something of this explanation will be of comfort to us, brethren. Everything's going to be all right. (laughs) It's going to be okay. This is our God. If He is for us, honestly, who can be against us? Not only is this description a description of power to the ancient world, it's a powerful description of a powerful, insurmountable force in any generation. No generation has come up with anything to compete with our God. So may it communicate peace and blessing and life and comfort to our souls this day. Let's pray.